Let me begin by saying this. This world is not a banquet in your honor. You were created to live for the glory of another. Today in the parable of the great banquet, we are going to learn what it means to become a humble guest of God, bringing glory to his one and only son. When I was in college, I was a DJ, a wedding DJ, a party DJ, graduation. I went to many parties, banquets, uh, work, Christmas parties, and um, we were performing DJs. So here's a picture of me in the college era as a DJ, dressed like a blues brother. See, we would go to these places and we would dance and we would get people up and we'd be really active and involved. It was a great college job. I got to go to other people's parties every weekend and get paid for it. But when we would go to weddings, we had a rule. You couldn't eat unless they invited you to eat. So we would get everything set up and the wedding would start and then it would come time for the food and we would just be looking at the tables like, oh, maybe it's going to be prime rib because if it wasn't prime rib, it was going to be Taco Bell at 1 a.m. We were guests and we were employees, kind of, but we were at other people's weddings, parties, and, and so if they invited us to join in, we got to. If they didn't, we didn't. This idea of a great banquet becomes our parable for today. A parable is a story or a scenario with a spiritual lesson. The lesson is somewhat hidden. A parable is a way to say it without saying it, and that's how Jesus protected himself because he didn't just come right out and say controversial things. He would say them in a story or a picture, and therefore they couldn't quite accuse him because <clears throat> he told the story of a goat, you know, and people are like, well, what's the big deal? The lesson is meant to be understood and applied by the faithful. There is a meaning. It's not like mysterious or open to, you know, wild interpretations. But those who are not of the faith will, con will be confused or upset uh, by the message of the parable. There are actually like three or four separate banquet parables uh, that Jesus would, it was a frequent uh, parable he would tell. And each of the several banquet parables has its own nuances. So I'm going to draw freely from all of those banquet stories today. I'm not just going to focus on one of them. I'm going to kind of put them all together because uh, they all have kind of their own, their own angle. Because it's a versatile parable, there are many applications, there are many angles uh, that, you can, that you can take. Uh, but basically what we are going to see is Jesus today is welcomed to a banquet held by a prominent Pharisee, and we're going to see how he uses that occasion to share this parable. Let's pray, then we'll get into the word together. Jesus, you are glorious, and today you're teaching Every week, it truly is the Spirit of Christ, it's the Word of God, uh, but today, these are, these are your words. So I pray that you would just bless us as we hear your teaching. I pray that you would help us to understand clearly what you're saying, what you meant then, what you are saying to us today, and help us to know how to be humble guests of God in this life as we bring glory to you. And we pray this in your name, amen. amen. We're going to Luke 14, Luke 14, there's a parallel a parable 
in Matthew 22. I just put that down there so you know if you want to read up on it where you can go. But Luke 14. Um, and we're, we're going to, before the parable, read the lead-in. It says in Luke 14, verse 1, One Sabbath, now you should know right there, on the Sabbath, lots of rules. So it's on a Sabbath, they're having a feast. When he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, not just a Pharisee, but a prominent Pharisee on the Sabbath, they were watching him carefully. So just kind of cross your arms like this and look at the person next to you and watch them carefully. Go ahead and do that. Just give them an eye. Just watch them carefully. Okay, so Jesus is there, but they're watching him. He's already had some run-ins with the Pharisees. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy, body swelling disorder, sit, that was seated right near him. Now, the Bible doesn't flat out say this, but it really looks to be a setup. It's the Sabbath. Jesus is invited. They're watching him closely. And there's someone in front of him who has a disease, a sickness. Now, if you read earlier in the book of Luke, chapter 6, Jesus, when he would heal on the Sabbath, would drive the, the Pharisees crazy. You don't work on the Sabbath. Rule, rule, rule. They didn't understand how Jesus could do something like that on the Sabbath. They forget the miracle. They were freaking out about the rules, and Jesus told them, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. Now, that's a claim to be God, because only God can work on the Sabbath, which is why they hated him for saying things like that. So when you set the stage here, Jesus at a banquet with someone seated near him who needs to be healed, it's probably a setup. They're watching him closely. Verse 3, and Jesus responded to the lawyers. That doesn't mean lawyers like, you know, it means like those who know the law of Moses. They're, they're, uh, they're Bible scholars. Okay. Jesus responded to the lawyers and the Pharisees saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? So he's surrounded by religious teachers, and as a courtesy, he asked them to explain the law, and they say nothing, furthering the notion that it's a setup. Do you think they didn't know? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. Miracle! He sent this guy away, which also seems to indicate that this guy was kind of being like a pawn. Like, why wouldn't he leave him there if he was a, truly a guest? So you can see how it was a setup. He took him, healed him, and sent him away. And then he said to them, which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? They could not reply to these things. He appealed to their law. He appealed to their example. They were silent because they were guilty. They were doing a wrong thing. Now, all that just sets the context. That's leading up to the parable. But you can feel the tension. Have you ever been at a family party where there's tension? Raise your hand if you've been at a family party where there's tension. Yeah, like you can sometimes walk in and just the way people are like standing or talking, you're like, what happened? Again. That's kind of what it felt like. That all sets up the parable. Okay, so here's what it says in verse 7. Now he told a parable to those who were invited. When he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, so Jesus is watching how they're seated. Imagine going to this banquet and you just kind of get to seat yourself and you're supposed to do it based on rank. 
When you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. He who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus is quoting a proverb there. This first scenario tells people when you're a guest, what to do, what not to do. When you're a guest and you show up, take the lowest place, not the highest place. If you take the lowest place, the host will lift you up to a better seat. If you take the highest place, someone greater than you may show up. You, therefore, will be humiliated. You can almost see here how Jesus is willing to take a lower place at this banquet. He belonged at the highest place, but he was just watching these fools seat themselves and, well, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. And Jesus is like, all right. And then he heals someone. And they still didn't say, oh, get up here. You know, it's still just like really weird. He's capitalizing on that to teach a parable, a principle here. He goes on to say in verse 12, he said also to the man who had invited him. So now he turns to the host. When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. Now that's just what he did, isn't it? He invited all of these prominent people. So first he's talked about how to be a guest. Now he's talking about how to be a host. When you're a host, don't invite all of the special people in your life who are going to just be able to pay you back. What do you do? But when you give a feast, verse 13, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Also indicating that this one person who was there truly wasn't welcome there. The host who had that disabled person there uh, didn't do it correctly. And you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. And now we're talking about the end, the end times here, at the very end. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Yes, yes, now we're at the point. Jesus is talking about who's going to eat bread in the presence of God in the kingdom of God. Who is going to heaven? This is what the parable is all about. Who's going to heaven? Who's not going to heaven? And then it says in verse 16, But Jesus said to him, A man once gave a great banquet, so here's kind of a third scenario, and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife. Therefore, I cannot come. Excuse, excuse, excuse. You ever have a party that you planned, RSVPs, and then somebody's not coming and you know they have a lame excuse? Oh, why are they not coming? Oh, she's got a, uh, a uh, sports rehearsal thing or something. And you're like, I put so much work into this. 
and they're not coming? So the servant came and reported this to the master. Then the master of the house became angry, said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. The servant said, sir, what you have commanded has been done. Still there is room. The master said to the servant, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. That's the parable. Let's pull a few pictures out of this parable and then we will go to some application at the end. Number one, you can jot this down. This is a portrait of salvation. This is a portrait of salvation. Who will be in the kingdom of God? Who will go to heaven? Who won't go to heaven? Coming to the banquet, being there at the feast is being in heaven with God. Not going to the feast is not going to heaven. It's not just a future tense, there's also a present tense. Are you in the kingdom of God? Have you entered into the kingdom of Christ? So right now, some of the people in Jesus' day had entered into the kingdom of God and others were making excuses and they hadn't entered in yet. It takes on a present form and a future form. It is a portrait of salvation. Jot this down. The banquet represents God's kingdom. The banquet represents God's kingdom. As it says in verse 14, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. There is a future. There is an eternity. We will all be called out of our graves and we will be brought into the presence of God and some will dwell in the presence of God for eternity and some will be sent away from the presence of God forever. That is coming. Somebody said, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Yes, that's the point. We have a table set up here on the stage to make it feel like a banquet, like we're at a banquet. This is a portrait of heaven, how it will begin, what it will feel like being welcomed, invited to be a humble guest of a great God so that we might bring him glory. This idea of being invited to a banquet with God actually has um, other places in the Bible where it's talked about. Look at Exodus 24, 9 to 11. At Mount Sinai, it says, Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up. They saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness and he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God, and they ate and drank. Wow. Being invited into the holy presence of God to, to eat and to drink, to fellowship, that shows us the heart of God to invite us into his heavenly presence. In Isaiah 25, 6-9, it foreshadows Christ, his work, his coming, and how heaven begins. It says this, a prophecy here. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over, don't miss this, all nations, all peoples, all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. 
It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We've waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Jesus is fulfilling that prophecy as the one who would conquer death. Jesus is also going to be the one who's the head of the banquet, welcoming people into God's holy presence forever. He is the way, the truth, and the life. So the banquet represents God's kingdom. Jot this down. The Pharisees rejected God's invitation. It's clear in the parable who Jesus was talking about when he said, none of those who were invited will taste my banquet. It's the religious rulers who would not give glory to Christ. They are clearly the ones. We learn that from the context. If you peek over at chapter 13, verse 28, Jesus said, In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. He says in verse 34, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? You were not willing. So the religious leaders, and then by extension the Israelites, this generation would not taste of the banquet of God. Now that thought, that claim is going to get Jesus killed. He's not coming right out and saying, you're not going to heaven. But he's saying it in the parable without saying it. He's saying there will be people who were invited, who should have been at the banquet, who made lame excuses and just never got there. So the Pharisees rejected God's invitation. Jot this down. They insulted God by rejecting his son. They insulted God by rejecting his son. Matthew makes this more clear. In the banquet parable in Matthew... Uh, the banquet is a great banquet held by a king, and it's for the king's son. Uh, it's a wedding feast. So when you neglect to believe Jesus, when you neglect to enter the kingdom of God, when you neglect to get saved, you are insulting the king. So royal weddings are kind of a big deal in other countries, but we kind of watch when they happen, right? Here's some pictures when it comes to a royal wedding. Um, Royal wedding, big, huge, like lots going on, and everybody around the world is tuning in because it's a royal wedding. Imagine if you got invited to the royal wedding. And you're like, oh, I've got an oil change scheduled on that day. I can't go. Okay, now there are only lame excuses to not become a Christian and give Jesus glory and go to his heavenly banquet forever. You're not going to stand in front of God on judgment day and be like, you don't understand. And then share your excuses like you've insulted the king. And here in this passage, it's a very nonchalant, passive way to do it. Well, I just can't, I'm busy. This really indicts a lot of people who maybe aren't like actively, aggressively rejecting Jesus. They're like, well, I just have my own thing. They're very nonchalant about it. You have to see this picture of being invited by the king to the banquet for the wedding of his son. There is no situation where you refuse that invitation without insulting the king. 
And in the book of Matthew, it's actually more active. When the servants came to invite people to the banquet, they killed the servants, which foreshadows how the apostles would be treated in the early church. And in that situation, in the book of Matthew, the king sent an order to destroy those who had killed the servants. Another nuance of this idea of being invited to the great banquet of God, if you refuse, you insult the king and you put yourself in eternal peril. You can't insult the king and refuse to give glory to his son and refuse to come to his glorious banquet without destroying yourself in the process. So the Pharisees rejected God's invitation. They insulted God by rejecting his son. Jot this down. They were haughty and they mistreated others. They were haughty and they mistreated others. The idea that, that the poor, the lame, or heaven forbid, the, the, I want you to gasp when I say this, the Gentiles would be in heaven too? Count me out. We are children of Abraham. We are the best of the bloodline. You know the religious leaders, they had a special, in Jerusalem, they had a special road that took them into the temple area, literally over everyone else, they went to the temple area because they didn't want to stoop to be around you people. They really thought they weren't just going to be there, they were going to be up there to suggest that they weren't going to be there would be shocking and staggering. They weren't haughty and they mistreated others. This is spiritual pride. So this parable shows salvation. Many who were invited into God's kingdom would be turned away. Jot this down. Number two, it's also a portrait of humility. It's a portrait of humility. The humble will go to heaven. Only the humble will go to heaven. So there's a reversal. The proud, the haughty, those who seem to be God's elite wouldn't be there. The low, the, the, the humble, the brokenhearted... <clears throat> they would be there. The people who seem to be overlooked by God or forsaken by God, they would be there. It's a portrait of humility. The humble will go to heaven. Not the proud, not the arrogant, not the pompous. Those who understand that we are invited to be humbly saved and to attend a banquet in God's honor, they will go to heaven. Jot this down. We see Jesus' example contrast the Pharisees Jesus took the lowest place. When we are a guest, taking the lowest place shows that we are humble. How to be a guest? Be humble. Take the lowest place. Jesus humbled himself by coming down here from heaven. He humbled himself, Philippians 2 says. Even then he died on a cross, he humbled himself. Jesus said, I am among you as one who serves. Jesus humbled himself. How unchristlike, how out of line with the kingdom values of God is it to be haughty and to exalt yourself? If you exalt yourself, you will be humble. If you humble yourself, you will be exalted. I kind of, I want to act this out just for a second. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask Joe to be my guinea pig here. Joe, you have been invited to a great banquet <laughs> by me. Come on up here, my friend. It's so glad to see you. You're here. I'm thrilled you're here. Pick any seat in the house. You're going to go sit at the head table. Go on right now. 
Pick any, any seat in the house. Oh, you're going up there, are you? Okay, uh, that's your choice. Okay, why don't you pick a better seat? Wow, hey, he, he really went for it, didn't he? Okay, that's uh, quite a seat he has there, right? Uh, now, Paul's going to be my second guinea pig. Now, Paul arrives at the banquet, right? Now, Paul is a superstar in my life. In fact, let's give Paul a big round of applause. For wow! You came! It's so great to see you. You know what? I've got a special seat reserved just... Uh-oh. Oh! <laughs> Someone is in your seat. Joe. I'm going to have to ask you to get up, please. Get up. This is Paul's seat. Everyone, Paul's being seated. Let's give Paul a big round of applause. Joe, I'm so sorry, but everybody has already, come on up here. Everybody's already arrived and all the seats are taken. Yeah, you picked the wrong seat. Sorry, but you know what? I've, I've got a chair over there for you. Why don't you just go ahead over there. Uh, it's, the, it's the only chair that's left in the whole house. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, can you just have a seat there? It, it's broken. Uh, sorry, it's the, it's, yeah, it's the last chair that we could find. Go ahead and, and you can just stay there. Sorry. <laughs> this is the scenario that Jesus warns you about. See, if you show up to this life and you think it's a banquet in your honor and you take the highest place, you're going to be humiliated. Now, the humiliation could mean you're not going to go to heaven. Or it could mean within the kingdom, you're really going to get destroyed because you think you're something when you're nothing. But um, in fact, I should have, what I should have done is I should have had you take the lowest place first and then I bring you up here, right? Like, what are you doing? Uh, but if you humble yourself, you're going to be exalted. So let's give these two guys a round of applause. Thank you so much. <clears throat> this is a portrait of humility. And you can jot this down. So Jesus took the lowest place. Jot this down. Jesus loved the lost. He loved the lost. We see in the parable, the first thing Jesus did was he had eyes on the person who was really the, a person who needed to be healed. He asked the question, hey, is it okay if I heal on the Sabbath? Nobody said nothing. Then he healed this person. It's really awesome. Jesus loves the lost. He loves the broken. He loves those that the world hates. In chapter 15, verse 1, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled. Give me your best grumble. This man receives sinners and eats with them. They couldn't take it. Jesus loved the lost. That's great news for you and me. God could have just invited all the elites to his banquet forever. Not the way he does it. It's a portrait of salvation. The banquet represents God's kingdom. The Pharisees rejected God's invitation. They insulted God by rejecting his son. They were haughty and mistreated others. It's a portrait of humility. Jesus took the lowest place. He loved the lost. Jot this down and he rejected the proud. He rejected the proud. The people who were rising up by their own strength, their own righteousness, he rejected them. You're not, you're not invited. You're not coming you're not welcome. They weren't saved. So number three, write this down. What are some questions that we could have <clears throat> for reflection? What are some questions we could have for reflection? Well, this challenges us
to first and foremost ask, are we in the kingdom of God? Have we entered into, by faith, the kingdom of God? Have we accepted the invitation of the great king to the feast for his son? And let me just ask you that question. Uh, are you saved? Are you fit for eternity by Jesus Christ? The idea of eternity is really huge. Who's going to eternity? How do we get there and what will happen once we arrive? Are you going to heaven? When we did our apologetic series a month ago, we learned that when polls are done, 1% to 2% of people think they're going to hell. That reflects a great deception because it's not 98 to 99% of people who say, I believe Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one goes to the Father except him. You could be in the category of people right now who thinks they're going to be in the kingdom of God. You think you're going to be in, in the banquet of paradise, but you are going to be shocked to realize you will have no seat waiting for you there. If there's anyone who would be shocked to think they wouldn't be welcome in the banquet of God, it would have been the Bible teachers in Jesus' day. The Pharisees were like the pastors today. In the local synagogues, they did the teaching. They weren't going. Now that created a lot of alarm. Jesus would sometimes point out how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. They would have assumed the religious and the rich were God's favorites. Oh, well, they're religious, so they must be God's favorite. They're rich, so God must have blessed them. They're, of course, going to heaven. So when Jesus said, it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God than it is to pass a camel through the eye of a needle. That blew their minds. Do you know what they said? Who then can be saved? If they're not going, how am I going? You're getting warmer. Well, if the best of the best aren't going, well, then how can I get there? Not their way. And if you think that you're good enough to stand before God because you're a pretty good person, or you've given to charity, or you've avoided the big sins, if you think that you're going to stand on your own merit, let me just suggest to you something that you may have never in your life thought of, that you're not going to go to heaven. Maybe you've never even thought of that once in your life, that there's not a seat for you there. You are invited, but there's only one way to get there. You have to humbly accept the invitation of the king. You have to realize that heaven is not yours. It's his. It's his kingdom. Therefore, you have to humble yourself. There's, in the Matthew version, there's a surprise ending. The original people who refused, violently refused the king's invitation, they didn't go. They got destroyed. The people who were brought in came in, but in the end, the king looked around and he saw somebody who was not dressed for the occasion. He said, you, why are you not in wedding clothes? The man stood speechless. And he said, bind him up and throw him out. What does that mean? That means that there are some people who are among God's people who think that they're going to just follow the crowd. Oh, yeah, I'm going. But when they get there, they have not been transformed. To be clothed 
is to be transformed by the righteousness of Christ. Imagine if you went to a wedding and you still had ripped jeans, you know, flannel, you hadn't really showered, dirty boots. The insult to the occasion you haven't properly prepared. You think you're fine. Hey, listen, I would hate for that to be your eternal story. You go in, but you're not ready. You thought you were going to get there, and you're shocked to realize you have not truly believed that Jesus is Savior and Lord. He has not taken away your sins. Let me just say that the first question for reflection, if you haven't written it down, is have you accepted the invitation to worship Christ? Have you accepted the invitation to worship Christ? There's a passive way in, in Luke. Ah, I'm busy. I've got a lot going on. I can't figure it all out. Um, your neglect is going to have eternal consequences. God will not accept your neglect. Well, I, I couldn't. I didn't. I had this and that. Unacceptable. You've insulted the king. And let me just say this. If you have not repented of your sin, accepted Jesus as Savior, you're insulting the king. It doesn't matter what your excuse is. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what your complaints are. It doesn't matter what your objections are. You've got to get it figured out because the king has invited you to accept Jesus as Savior. Johnny Erickson taught us, said, eternity is about to happen. Do you realize that? Do you realize eternity is about to happen? The feast is getting ready. They're getting it all ready right now. Heaven, heaven, getting heaven ready, getting heaven ready, getting heaven ready right now. I'm going to prepare a place for you. It's ready. Are you really going to be like, oh, I was busy. Instead of this? Or are you more of in a hostile mug? Get that away from me. That religion, that church stuff, that Jesus. It's not going to end well for you. Have you accepted the invitation to worship Christ? The most accurate picture given of what the banquet is truly going to be like forever is awesome. In Revelation 19, 7 and 9, here's what it says. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb, that's Jesus, has come and his bride, that's the church, has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Here's the next picture. This is a bride who is ready, ready, ready for the wedding. Ready, ready. Are you ready? Are you saved? Are you going to heaven? Are you distracted? Have you not just gotten there yet? Is this you? Is this you? Is this you? So it's, first, have you accepted the invitation to worship Christ? Here's the next question. How will you humbly take the lowest seat? How will you humbly take the lowest seat? Now, if you hear this parable or the several, a combination of parables, and you look down at your life, and how humble you are being right now, and then you look up and you're like, I'm good, you're missing the point. We're all supposed to take stock here. You see, when we enter into the kingdom of God, meaning you're now in the church, and then you decide how you're going to conduct yourself, 
You don't wake up each morning and look over there at the broken chair and say, that's my place. Taking the lowest place, humbling yourself is something that has to happen every day. We're supposed to clothe ourselves with humility. It's so hard to be humble. Whether we look down on other people or we desire to be respected more than we are, appreciated more than we're being appreciated, even applauded or adored, we're tempted to rise up to a better seat, better seat, better seat, until, until soon we're kind of up here and we feel entitled and look at this, and then we humble, no, exalt ourselves. Where, where are you exalting yourself? Where are you getting bigger? How are you humbling yourself? Maybe a better question is this, how is God humbling you? How's he humbling you? How's he knocking you out of that seat and driving you over to that place? It's important to realize that we don't even belong at the banquet. We're humble guests of the king. We're the misfits. We're the rejects. We're the lowest. Taking the lowest seat. Be careful of false humility. Taking the lowest seat is not going over there and being like, fine, I'm waiting for someone to notice me over here. That's false humility. You really do not even belong at the banquet. And taking the lowest place reveals that you know the truth about yourself. It's by grace that you have been saved. Taking the higher places, lording it over people, trying to put people under you, that's false about you. Are you taking the lowest place Maybe you're unwilling to accept a trial. This pain, this hardship, or a difficult person. This person, I won't take it anymore. You refuse to be humble. Refusing a trial is refusing to be humble. There are many things that can humble us. There can be a financial challenge. Why me? Why now? There can be a difficult family member. Your marriage can really be broken and you don't know exactly how to fix it. You can have a strong-willed child. Medical problems always take you down to the very dumps. How is God humbling you? And let me ask you this. Are you willing to be humbled? Are you willing for God to drive you again to that lowest place? Or are you refusing it? No! I deserve better than this. You won't talk to me that way ever. Are you getting bigger or are you getting smaller? If you humble yourself, you will be exalted. If you exalt yourself, you'll be humbled. How will you humbly take the lowest seat? You know, I read the story of Gideon in my devotions this week in the book of Judges. God just kept making his army smaller and smaller and smaller. <laughs> Go and deliver the people. Okay, God sent all of his army home except 300 people. 300 people. Do you know if you keep reading his opposition? There were 120,000 casualties on the other side. Isn't that unbelievable? Eh, you go home, you go home, you go home, you go home. What am I going to do with 300 people? You're going to win. And maybe you feel that way. How, how am I going to make it from this spot? You're going to win. Because you've been humbled. I've only got this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're missing it. 
humility is the path toward honor. Are you accepting that? Only God knows what it is that's humbling you right now. Too often, humility is our last resort. Let me just invite you to humble yourself. Accept the hardship the Lord has appointed to you. In this world, you will have trouble. Do you want to be like Jesus? Do you? If you want to be like Jesus, but you don't want to have sorrows, then you don't want to be like Jesus. He was a man of sorrows. We have to embrace it. We have to take the lowest place, to feel overlooked, to feel rejected, to feel humbled, if not humiliated. Have you accepted the invitation to worship Christ? How are you humbly taking the lowest seat right now? And then jot this down. How will you share God's love with others? How will you share God's love with others? We see in these parables that Jesus has a heart for the blind, the lame, the broken. Do you know that the original audience would have assumed that those people were the rejects? Of, of, you know, you're blind. You know why you're blind? Do you know why you're blind? It's because you or your parents screwed up, okay? All your fault. God's not happy with you. There was an equivalence between your level of suffering and God's displeasure with you. Well, the book of Job should have cleared all that up, right? Job was like the most righteous man alive. That's why he was targeted for suffering. So that had to be reversed. We are therefore supposed to demonstrate our humility. How do we demonstrate our humility? Well, as a guest, we take the lowest place. In a variety of ways in life, you take the lowest place. But as a host, when it's within your power to help other people and honor them, as a host, you display humility by loving those that the world overlooks. Loving those who need help. Loving those who are weak. Loving those who don't deserve it. As a guest, you're humbling yourself. As a host, you're humbling yourself. And I don't just mean when you have a birthday party for your daughter. That is part of it. It will show up in that. But it's a symbol. It's a picture of you when you have the ability to honor and, and welcome people and associate with people. Who are you going for? And if you're haughty and proud and your associations don't show, first and foremost, that you have a heart for the family of God, those losers, Christians, bleh! Whoa. This is the bride of Christ you're talking about. And I get it. She is a rugged woman. But my goodness, to be haughty over the people of God? Wow. How will you share God's love with others? Meaning you're sharing in and forming friendships with other believers and the outcasts. 1 Corinthians 1.28 makes it clear. God chose the lesser things, the things that are not, to shame those things that are. Guess what? That's us. We are the lesser things. We are the weaker things. We are the despised things. The apostle said, we feel like we're men doomed to die, condemned in the arena, the refuse of the world. Welcome to church. Is that what you signed up for? How will you share in God's love with others? And then how will you invite others into the kingdom of God? There's this portrait of welcoming in the lowest, the least, the overlooked, those who need God, who are weak, who are sinful, who are broken, welcoming them in, going out and compelling them to come in. We could take on the role of the servants in this parable. Go out, compel them to come in, that my house may be filled, to bring them in. So questions for reflection? Have you accepted the invitation to worship Christ? How will you humbly take the lowest seat? How will you share God's love with others? Now, there are many ways to respond to a sermon, but today it's perfectly appropriate and in line to respond to the sermon by we're going to take communion together. We're going to take communion together. Um, so I'm going to ask the ushers to prepare for that, and Andre's going to come out here as well. 
But here's how we're going to respond to this sermon today. Communion is a remembrance of the Last Supper, the banquet, the Last Supper. When Jesus inaugurated the new covenant and he invited you and me to take the bread, which is his body, and to drink the wine, which is his blood, it means to get saved, salvation. But it also means to humble yourself and remember the great sacrifice Jesus made for you and me. So communion is going to be a way where you can immediately respond by reflecting on the salvation and the humiliation of Christ. But remember, communion also looks ahead. Heaven's going to start with a banquet. And Jesus said, I'm not going to drink this again until I do it when I come into my kingdom. There's coming a day when people from every nation, tribe, and tongue are going to be gathered to the wedding feast of the Lamb. It's going to be amazing. When you imagine that, I hope you don't imagine some like small chapel, some like tiny banquet hall that smells musty. I hope you imagine a banquet that's so vast and unimaginably beautiful that you will be able to see it from space. I hope you imagine the most gigantic gathering of man that has ever occurred with the glory of Christ right there. Are you going to be a part of that? Have you accepted the invitation? We're looking ahead during communion and worshiping Christ. So I would invite you, if you have never asked Jesus to be your Savior and Lord, let this taking of communion be your way of saying, I'm in. I accept Jesus. If you are a Christian, let this right now, as the ushers are passing the elements, be a time of worship and reflection as you reflect on what Jesus has done for you. I'll come back up in a moment and we will take the elements together. Until then, take some time to pray and reflect right now.
one of the greatest feasts of Israel and they celebrated Passover remembering the destroying angel in Moses' day passing over sparing the Israelites it was the blood of the Lamb Jesus that would save us from that it says in 1 Corinthians 11 for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take this in remembrance of Christ. And in the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And he said, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's stand up. We're going we're to sing that song, How Deep the Father's Love. Let's sing this together. <laughs> 